Fearscape Media Network. Exploring the unknown, one podcast at a time. Good evening, dear friends. I am your headmister, Stefan Gearhart. And I am your co-mister, the man with no name, Lance Wayne. And we are the Misters of the Dark. Join us as we discuss everything from horror books, films, and even pretty princesses. (laughs) Join us every other Tuesday in our dilapidated mansion. You never know what's going to happen next. Only on the Fearscape Media Network. (laughs) That's a good laugh. Ghosts in the Attic's Bodies in the Basements may contain graphic, violent, vulgar, or explicit content not suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Ghosts in the Attic, Bodies in the Basement. I'm Anna. And I'm Lindsay, and we're back. Yeah, sorry about that, like, stroking out on you, literally. Literally. Because, <laughs> you know, Oklahoma heat is not to be trifled with, and I don't know what the fuck I was thinking being an Irish person this pale going outside for extended periods of time. Right? But I am glad that you are okay. Yeah, I, I'm doing really well. I, I mean, I still have brain frog frog see see that's my problem i have brain fog almost to the level i had but if not more so than when i was pregnant so that's super fun super fun feeling absolutely dumb as shit all the time like you walk into a room typically with add and you're like what am i here for you walk into a room with add after having some sort of stroke and you're like no really why am i here what who am i (laughs) what was i gonna say like i forgot a sentence mid-sentence like it was it was a thing the other day it was really interesting so to say i'm special right now like a special case of of dumb is like the the bottom of the totem pole i could go on for days about how my brain is not working but i'm gonna try to get through today's episode like normal yay fun Lucky for us, it is a book club episode, so those are a little bit easier on the brain. Well, until you have to remember what the hell it was, and thankfully I took notes, so yay me. (laughs) Especially, I've been on a really big Audible kick lately, and so I've read several books since I read this one. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I'm listening to a cozy mystery series, so it's basically like no cursing, not at all, in the entire book series. It's kind of weird. Interesting. Um, but it's about witches, so it's kind of spooky and fun. And is it the set that you you told me about? Yeah, the uh, torrent witches. It's really good. But I'm on like book like six or something out of ten. It just it's something to 
mundanely listen to while I'm doing my tasks at work. You know, it's just something to pass the time between, like, epic reads. It's not to say it's bad. It's just, like, not what I typically listen to. Yeah, it's like a that. Hallmark movie, but book form and witchy. Nice. I'm currently reading Imaginary Friend by Stephen Chbosky, who is who wrote Perks of Being a Wallflower. And this is nothing like Perks of Being a Wallflower. It's creepy and nice. it's amazing. I'm loving it. And it's like, I, I'm on chapter 45 and still have eight hours left on two times speed. Well, damn. So there's a lot going on. Yeah, but anyway, I, I feel that. Like, um, I've been trying to write recently. Hello. Uh, and then I was like, oh, this will be a great idea. And then I forgot what the fuck I wrote in the first book. So now I oh, have to yeah. go through and read the entire first book to make sure I'm not, like, fucking everything up for the second book. You right, know. Like, a character walks in who died early on or something. Writer's <laughs> life. Um... But yeah, like you might, you might have to proofread the shit out of this because who knows? <laughs> well, you know, I'm not going to remember if you mean me literally proofreading. Yeah, you, you literally. <laughs> I'm not going to remember. I've read the dedication how many times? Right. <laughs> Maybe once. But you mentioned writing and it's funny that you do because actually while I was listening to this book, which by the way, we never said it, it's uh, I Eat Men Like Air. Yes, by it's by Alice Berman. Alice Berman. But something about the writing style or something, I wrote a bunch of just like random stuff while I was listening to it. Because my brain, you know, like when you're, especially when you're listening to stuff, but it happens when you're physically reading a book too. Your brain starts like picking up those patterns. Yeah. It was it, kind of like that. Not like My brain just like would mirror read everything. Yeah. It's yeah. almost like musing you. Yeah. So that brings us to our book, though, which is I Eat Men Like Air, like we just said, by Alice Berman. And as always, even though we hope you guys read it before you come and listen to this. If, by the way, if we even told you it was a thing, because like, who fucking knows with us? We did. We did. Oh, because it is in the us. show notes. <laughs> except for one of the times. It just says currently reading. and It is just blank. <laughs> currently or, reading nothing. I can't remember if it was completely blank or was it I eat men like air by and then I never put <laughs> the author's name. Listen, everybody has Google and if they if we put nothing down, they could just assume we're not reading anything. So there's that. But as we told you guys, we've actually been reading quite a bit. But so yeah, so we are going to read. I Sorry, I just like I just noticed we got this for free. On yeah, Audible. it was free on Audible. It is now this- $30 <laughs> on Audible. Sorry, listeners. When we started this book months ago, it was completely free to download. Why is it $30? No shit. Audible's never going to sponsor us because we're over here talking well, shit. Audible's on. not sponsoring anyone like they used to, which is bunk, but like whatever. They should. They should they really sponsor should. us. We do all of our book clubs on Audible and all of our other reading too. Yeah. Anyways. Listen- Listen, I don't have time to physically sit down and read a book. My no, brain, me either. My I put, brain I put can't my earbuds in. I put my earbuds in and do stuff around the house. Yup. So we have a synopsis for you, but like we always tell you, there will be spoilers. So if you don't want that, get the fuck out of here, read the book, and come back. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so here's the synopsis off of Amazon. 
A lavish, debauched weekend to celebrate an upcoming wedding devolves into a murder scene. With the snow falling fast on a New Hampshire mansion, seven 20-somethings gather for a weekend that will change their lives irrevocably. The extravagant trip to celebrate Will and Jessica's upcoming nuptials brings together a cast of characters who know each other from Ivy League schools and childhood Upper East Side haunts. There's Lulu, an L.A.-based Instagram influencer, Maxie, a former Park Avenue princess, now Midwestern housewife, Yael, an ER doctor from Ohio, Rob, a colorless Wall, sorry, colorless Wall Street trader, Will, a morality-obsessed lawyer, Jessica, Will's perfectionist bride-to-be, and Alex Sable, a lawless pleasure seeker with refined tastes. Alex, son of a billionaire hedge fund scion, was the sole witness against his classmate in a serial rape trial 15 years ago, the notoriety of which follows Alex everywhere. By Will, by Will and Jessica's wedding day, four months later, Alex Sable would be dead in that same house in a bathtub filled with his blood. Can Tyler Carroll, a well-known podcast reporter, determined to pry his way into their closed-door world, sift through the secrets that connect the seven in a web? As Tyler attempts to find the truth behind the months leading up to Alex Sable's dramatic death, he follows the bridal party whose lives have spiraled in wildly different directions, bringing them to a fateful night. The narration by Elizabeth Evans pushes the tangled tale forward as she gracefully performs multiple characters, creating a clear picture of chaos and emotion. Told in dual timelines, the months leading up to the wedding and the investigation thereafter, I Eat Men Like Air is a riveting look at the unraveling of a friend group, punctured by, a viol- by violence and a chilling depiction of the rage that festered when it's kept secret. And it says, oh. note, I Eat Men Like Air contains mature and sensitive themes. And it's triggery as fuck. Let me just say that whenever I first came across this under the free version, which is now $30, but whenever I first came across this, I had no idea what to expect with I Eat Men Like Air. Initially, the cover stood out to me, and the title stood out to me, and my curiosity was piqued. But then whenever I really read the synopsis, I was like, wait a minute, true crime... And a podcaster. podcaster. Hello. I mean, and it's a book, so, like, we obviously had to cover this. I mean, just saying. Yes. It covers all of our bases. Like, us as individuals. Podcasters, writers, and... um, Why did Microsoft true, true Word fact. just open up on its own? Sorry. Like it says you're going to write right now. Right. Like, my computer just <laughs> opened Microsoft Word without being asked to. Kay thinks no thanks. Anyway, Your computer's doing a lot of wonky stuff right now. My computer has problems. I need a new one. But, like, I spilled wine on the last one, so this is what's up. Like I forgot about that. I think we were recording when that happened. We were, and it died. It straight up died, and now I have a Right in the computer. middle of recording. Yeah. And uh, well, what happened was a fly tried to go in my mouth, and then shit went awry. <laughs> but anywho, uh, with us being writers, with us being podcasters, and us being obsessed with true crime, this made perfect sense for us to cover as a book. Yes. And I don't know about you, but after the first chapter, I was intrigued. A few chapters later, I was hooked. And there's too many characters to keep up with, to be perfectly honest, if that's not your thing. Yeah, I had a hard time kind of keeping track of them until much later in the story, because it starts focusing on just a couple. Yeah, if that's not your thing, like multiple narrations, this is not going to be the book for you at all. I have to say, though, the narrator for Audible, like I know it said it in the synopsis on Amazon, but I'm going to tell you as somebody who listened to it, those characters 
are individual people, even though they it's had, all her. They had their own unique voices. Which like, a lot of audible like, narrators do that, but like I could picture each one of them in my head perfectly. And that was their own unique voice. In fact, I was even thinking earlier, because I texted Anna whenever I was reading it. And I said, Lulu was, what's her name? Anna Taylor-Joy? Yeah. I pictured her more like an Olsen twin, to be perfectly fucking honest. See, there's somebody else in my head that I also keep picturing. It's like it goes back and forth, but I can't figure out who the other one is. Like, just the way she is in the book screams mary kate olsen to me see i i see more anna taylor joy but then i was like i can even picture her voice and then i realized i'm probably actually picturing her voice in the audible yeah and i was like oh yeah but like i can see her in my head i cannot i mean anna taylor joy half the time and then another half there's somebody else i cannot put my finger on so if y'all listen to this let me know who you think lulu is i think alex would probably be ian summerholder See, I don't know. I feel like Alex is the ultimate douchebag. So I feel like he's the guy that played Dexter on the Dexter TV show because he just looks like a temp- like a complete dick face. And no offense to him, it's his face. He can't help it. But when you think of a tool, that's who I think of is the guy. But Ian Dexter. Summerholder, though, like look at Damon. I mean, yeah, but like, Dame I mean, is, I love Damon. Damon is a complete but, twisted fuck, but at least he's cute. Like, I imagine Alex but being Alex very is, unattractive. But isn't Alex supposed to be super handsome? That's part of his appeal. According to Rob, I mean, he's Rob's like obsessed, obsessed with him. Yeah, he's like completely obsessed with him and wants to be him, which is like a whole nother level of weird. But which I did like the character development towards the end with Rob. I know we're jumping all around, but Rob kind of get set free after alex dies don't they all though which is really kind of fucked because when the story begins i mean this audible book is going to have you obsessed until you finish it i mean just straight mm -hmm. up yes yeah it's at but i mean wow i couldn't stop the characters are so well written i mean there are a bunch of 20 somethings living beyond our means like mine except for is it is it rob who's actually poor well i wouldn't say he's poor he's upper middle class but by comparison compared to these people who have private jets like he's and so he tries desperately to fit in millionaire he met alex and several other people while they were at I want to say preparatory school or college. I can't remember. It's, it's a mixture. I think they all met each other different at different times. Yeah. yeah. So that being said, he came from a very humble beginning, upper middle class, but humble beginning compared to his billionaire friends. And I mean, Lord help. This poor boy tries so desperately to fit in with all of them. And they make him the butt of every joke. He's like yeah. the complete ass until they go to the Valentine's weekend at the manor or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then that weird, as they call him, I'm not saying this because I'm a bitch. They called him this in the book, pumpkin headed freak. Adam. I forgot about him, which is funny because they always forget about him. They always forget about him too. But like Adam was the outcast instead of Rob and Rob was so relieved Mm -hmm. and that's pathetic. Like 
to know that your best friends in the whole wide world are people that pick on you to the point to where you hate and yourself. exclude you like they, they would make, go on trips without inviting him yeah, but tell him they, all about it they would make him the butt of every joke yeah. and like he has like this like psycho girlfriend i mean Who, but also though is she even actually psycho or is it just rob he doesn't fit in yeah I think it's his perception of her because she doesn't fit the ideal to fit in with that crowd because well, she's just a normal person. He said, and I quote, I want someone like Jessica, which I mean, is a bride to be. She's so awful. She goes on a fucking vacation to Iceland and she calls like multiple people until she can get her fucking nails done because she's so bougie and pretentious. Like, who gives a shit about your manicure? You're in Iceland. Enjoy your vacation. And the whole reason Alex Sable is even in the wedding was for the status of it. Because his dad. No one even richest, really liked him. His dad was the richest person they knew. Yeah. So out of all of them, he had the highest trust fund. Like, come on. And he is legitimately the most stereotypical trust fund maybe you can ever think of. He does everything in his power to never have to work a day in his life. I mean, the drugs aside, like, fuck, this guy has problems. Yes. And um, so, like I was saying, there are a bunch of 20-somethings who live our dream. You know, they fly around, they jet around, they do all kinds of fun shit. But their secrets, mystery, they're frenemies more so than friends. There's a dual timeline of events. And the story is pretty fascinating, but it's also honestly kind of sad. Um, and also, sadly, predictable. Yeah, it's a one of those. Like, I, that was my one disappointment with the story was that it was kind of obvious, and I kept I kept talking myself out of the ending because I was like, no, that's too obvious. We'll see it. Like in my notes, I put from the lawyers to the Instagram influencers, they're the best and the brightest, at least in their own minds, and probably in the eyes of others who idolize them and everything starts out with a suicide at the wedding and it turns into this like twisted thrill ride of a book and the person who died at the wedding is alex sable initially it's thought to be a suicide but during the wedding at which alex was supposed to be the best man for status only yeah not because um, it's actually will's best friend Questions about Alex and the entire wedding party start popping up all over the place when Tyler goes to investigate with a police officer and Who's his friend? I can't remember if he's an officer or a detective. I think, but he, was, I think he was a detective. He goes with this gentleman and they're on like the scene of the crime. The crime scene's been completely destroyed. There's been like every person in the wedding party in that bathroom along with multiple people like paramedics and police officers etc that did not properly secure the crime scene so there's that mm -hmm. problem and then everyone leaves before they can even be questioned and, exactly they're all and they start with the questioning of the bridal party and like it's kind of really fucking awkward how everyone responds and i'm not going to give too much away because you do need to listen to this book to form it's your so own worth opinion. it even it even with it. it being predictable it was still really good oh yeah i have in my notes that the detective was sean strickland and they tried to navigate the 
depraved world of the rich kids and the starlets amongst this murder. And we see this world from the vantage points of so many characters. Like we said, there are seven people in the bridal party, not to mention the detective who isn't really all that talked about in narration, mm-hmm. but heavily Tyler. Um, I mean, Lulu, she went from being a nobody to a somebody and her love life is jacked. Just so we're clear. Uh, yeah, I completely forgot about that till you said it. Her, I mean, her ex tried to kill them in pr- a plane to crash prove, to prove her love to him. She was, she, he told her, you have to let me crash this plane to prove that I love you. What? N- n- no. I think, I think a lot of what you can take away from this story, from everybody's storylines, like literally everybody's storylines. The grass is greener somewhere else. Um, you know, and- it, until you water it and then you realize your grass is way greener. And I was going to say something else and I, can't, I lost it. When I you said the grass is greener, it <laughs> wiped my brain. And like, I really found Tyler's character really interesting because he really does want to know what happened. Like he's, he's genuinely interested in not only doing his job, but he, he gets, gets sucked in to their in, group. Yeah. He gets entranced by what's going on. Like who was Alex Sable? Who the fuck are all these people that he was friends with or allegedly friends with? And he it's through all these interviews that we learn that what seems to be an inevitable group of long-term friends is instead a group of people that are better at keeping secrets than honestly telling the truth. And it's a lot of tangled, dark emotions that goes back over years. I mean, years of tangled secrets and resentments and just fucked up shit and at the and end of the day a group of friends sticking together who when they don't really like each other none of them like each other i mean for fuck's sake spoiler 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 the groom is cheating with like what the maid of honor i mean come mm-hmm. on come on that and like neither of them felt bad about it that's what's even more messed uh, up they did I think I, they I would did, argue to, they a, did. A, to a small extent. I feel like the the maid of honor Yael is more res- remorseful than the groom to be. Well, it's important to note Yael is not from that group. She no, met she Jessica met her later in, college. in life. She met her in college, but at the end of college, and it was more so like they circled around the same group of people and they became acquaintances and then they lived in the same town after college and Jessica didn't really know anybody. All her friends were in LA or New York and she was stuck in like the Midwest. So her and Yael spent a lot of time together and then Rob uh, is obsessed with Alex and he has like a crazy girlfriend or so he thinks he's the girlfriend's crazy. And Lulu's ex is like trying to murder her and then, what's that girl's name, the other bridesmaid? Um, I can't think of her name. Maxie. Max- Maxie has her own list of issues. It's just like, this book really dives into seven people in a wedding party. And all of their history and backstory and current story all together. 
And then you got this fucking journalist in the mix. And he who honestly like, starts falling for it all. He he gets kind of entranced by their magical oh, web of gross. bullshit and stupidity. And I mean, wouldn't you like to know what's behind the curtain? Like in the Wizard of Oz, like what's behind the curtain? I want to know. And then he finds out and then he's like, he really does start to like question everything. And you're really not ready for what he learns. As the truth is slowly revealed, you find yourself wondering, are they really justified in their actions? Which, big spoiler, is the murder. Mm -hmm. This is where we get into the spoiler part of the book. And that is that Alex did not commit suicide. No. They all murdered him. It made it it look like a suicide. It was super fucking calculated. No, listen. Very. like most things I have read or watched, I have a hard time liking fictional leads. I'm just there. Example in case, Gilmore Girls. I mean, I say no more. Am I right? Am I right, Gilmore Girls? I actually just was having a conversation on Facebook before we started recording where somebody said, season four is where Rory starts to begin to get awful. I was like, mm, no. Rory was always awful, but it's just more obvious after season four. Yeah. I mean, none of these characters are actually likable except for Tyler. So it's so surprising that I actually liked this book. But I, know. I did. It, I did. You get enthralled with the group the same way Tyler does. Tyler becomes friends with Lulu and Maxie. Yeah. Like because to the point where he shows up when Maxie has a baby. Right. Like he's and, at the hospital. I mean, he's like, we'll get into that in a minute. That was like a whole thing. But Literally. I mean, you wind up hating most of the characters in the storyline, but it's but so also, entrancing yeah. that you become conflicted almost. Like, do I continue this book because they all kind of really fucking suck? Or do I just stop here and say I wasted my time with this? Like, what do you do? For me, I finished the book. The people in this book are so absolutely despicable and unlikable. And that's almost what makes it so great. Like, Kind of like with Shit's Creek. The very first episode is awful. Okay, hear me out. I love oh, the show. Yeah. It's one of my favorite shows in the world. However, Moira sitting there going, don't put my wigs together. She doesn't like her. Like, oh my God, could you be more pretentious? And then like Alexis going, actually, that was a gift from my boyfriend. That is not your property. That is mine. Like, they're so the entitled. very first time you rewatch Shit's Creek You're is like, when it when I you like really get hit with it. Yeah, and because what I loved about Shit's Creek, I know this is such a tangent, is that the character development is so subtle so that you subtle. forget how bad they were at the start until you go to that very first rewatch. Yeah, and you're like, oh my god, how did I watch this? And I can't say the same for the characters in this book because. I mean, they get redeemable in the fact that, like, they do all get set free being away from Alex and realizing they don't to, need to be with Alex. To but... an extent, they emotionally get set free, but, like, legality-wise, they're so fucked. I mean, <sighs> the women in this book, they start out really obnoxious, and then the more the story moves along, you begin to understand their personalities a lot more. Mm-hmm. And then you sort of start to really, especially Maxie, you sympathize with them. Mm-hmm. And in the end, they still aren't exactly likable, but you get it. You understand right. more. The men right. are horrible. 
Alex being the monster of the book. But everyone tried so hard to be Alex, therefore. And the views on the women that the men have and the life that they lead suck. And Alex is the literal worst. The only issue I had with this is that the ending was a little bit of a letdown. I mean, it was anticipated more than I thought it was going to be. I, I didn't expect it to be as calculated as it was. Because they it was all the way down to pass the razor blade around like a oh, yeah. symbolic like, gesture they, of slitting they really his wrist. They really did go into it. But like, it was this one portion of the book where they said a quote by somebody. I forget. And Lulu said it, and then Maxie said something, and it was just like the quote I you're talking like about. Air. The quote you're talking about is where the title of the book comes from, and it's from the po- poem "Lady Lazarus" by Sylvia Plath. Yeah, and the poem ends with "Out of the ash I rise with my red hair, and I eat men like air." And Maxie makes a statement of "Now I know what it feels like to eat men like air," or something like that. That's towards the end, but in the middle of the book, they say that poem and they make like a reference to it, and I was like. They're not mm-hmm. seriously going to have these women kill this dude, right? But they do, and that kind of almost makes it, like, shitty for me. And I will say, though. That just gave it because, away early on. Yeah, but also I will say for those of you who listen to this without ever actually listening to the book, Alex at that getaway where they all got to know each other at the mansion, like, not the wedding, but the first time they were there, tr- major trigger warning. Alex raped Maxie. However... We talked about in the synopsis how he was the witness and the one who brought down justice because he called to the a, police on a guy who was assaulting women around their right. campus. So then they kind of start putting the pieces together. It's one that of those Alex things that lied. was never actually answered. It was never actually put together in words. It was put together and- in words by the fact that Alex's dad called her in af- after he found out she was pregnant. But the thing is. They never had confirmation that Alex, not the other guy, was the actual assaultant. So, you know I th- what I, I mean? I think that they all had that re- revelation where they, they figured even before Alex, he died. But it was never like, confirmed because they never asked him. And that would have been something I would have liked to have seen. See, but I see, I feel differently. He, I feel it was 100% confirmed when, when he, Maxie when straight he, up called his dad out. Well, when he and raped he didn't her, deny it. He raped her and said she was asking for it, begging. By the for way, it. she was married. She was married. They <laughs> went into a library to look at some book. To, they went to like go get something. They were for trying. The party or they something. were trying to like end an argument about a quote. I feel I I could be way. It, off it was something far. they were trying to go look for. I don't remember. And it's been too long. They couldn't find her, and then they see, and they heard something. They go upstairs and they see something like on the floor outside of the library area and then they hear things and then they bust down the door and then there's a very illicit horrifying scene playing out and it just turns into like this whole fucking thing where then everybody except for like one or two people well the guy the guy that was passed out the pumpkin headed adam guy he got they let him get so fucked up on mushrooms and alcohol and whatever else that he passed out that he passed in a, out for like, like a vault for like 16 hours and in they, a vault where they've been playing poker and they're just like okay bye <laughs> and they didn't even call the ambulances or anything like that was nuts but mm-hmm. long story short it's easily deduced that alex framed some other guy 
for all of the sexual assaults that happened on that campus. And Let's then be real. when that guy died in prison somehow, um, Alex felt like he intense, like had like cancer or something. Yeah, he had like intense guilt. And it's like, why did you have so much guilt? Oh, because he shouldn't have fucking been there to begin with. And I really sort of wanted something like shocking and life changing to happen. And with the rape scene, I feel like that's kind of what happened. But I will say the one big letdown for me, aside from the middle of the book where they gave away that quote that turns into the title of the book that leads to the quote at the end of the book, when they do finally, like, for lack of better explanation, execute Alex Sable. When they execute him, because it was a calculated murder amongst a group of people. Oh, all the way down to Yael's a nurse. I think we said it in the in the synopsis i think it said it yeah so they even had like no i think she's a like doctor like not even a nurse i think she's like a legit doctor so oh yeah you're right and and so all the way down to her knowing the amount of medications to give him like what medications to give him that falls in lines with his current drug addictions and like partying past like dosages hardcore crazy and like it was like a whole thing but I almost wanted some sort of like real character arc development because they all almost stayed the same the entire book. It was really kind of pissing me off because I wanted after they murder a guy to either like fucking do some charity work and like change the world or like change them fucking selves. I don't know. I feel like if I murdered someone and got away with it, I would do something to redeem myself. I feel like to an extent, though, they changed. Maybe not, like, in the redemption way, but, like, Lulu is dating Alex's cousin. But, like, she kind of, like, settles down with him instead of always being in tumultuous relationships. And Maxie becomes a mom, and she realizes she's unhappy in her marriage and, like, divorces her husband. Although, let's be real, she doesn't want to divorce her man until she can prove that they were together long enough for her to get the fucking money from the prenuptial agreement i mean she's calculated as fuck yeah the, every character in this story is so calculated which which brings me which i've told you before like before we ever even started recording and stuff i said what this whole story boils down to is the age-old like ethics question of is street justice justice not even just that but with tyler if you know something say something and he doesn't that's the thing right. listeners tyler gets in on this little like shenanigan bullshit uh, but i will say and he doesn't reveal they they were very calculated in the way they talked to him yeah. because he even said he thinks he knows but what happened they never would like legitimately confirm it but he never reported it to the de- like the detective he was like legitimate friends with Right, and because but at the end of the day, I think it's because he couldn't prove it, and especially when you bring in their money and stuff, there's no way. There's no way he one guy could have got away with like framing seven people. However, I will say I thought it was like really kind of like interesting in a way that they kept mentioning how Alex was such a big fan of Tyler's podcast and how he would be so honored to be on it. I had forgotten that. Isn't that fucked up? Like, listen, I love you, but if someone murders me, please don't cover my murder. <laughs> like, can we just not and say we did? 
Because, like, how fucking crazy is that? I'm going to cover your murder, but then when I find out who the murderer is, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just joking. <laughs> no, for the record. No, she can't say anything because <laughs> she would have done something. Dun, dun, dun. Just kidding. Just kidding. FBI for agents the, that are For listening. legal purposes. This is a joke. <laughs> I have really bad sarcasm, okay? But like, and we also go into the de- the dark humor. I have times. really bad dark humor. It's like a whole thing. It, that's like a whole coping mechanism. It is a coping mechanism that I like deal with on the daily. But I will say, I really did enjoy this book, and I didn't. Think I that really I was did. Going to and what I feel like listening to us talk about it, it sounds like we didn't, but it was actually really, really it's good. Really intoxicating. <laughs> you get drawn in, and you're like, nope, fuck this. I have to keep going. Which kind of. Is what happens with Tyler, too. Like, it's... So, I like when writers do that where you, like, can un- then understand why somebody does something because it happened book. to you, too. Yeah. And we've talked about that before. I can't think of what it is now. It was probably Melanie where, Golding. No, like, where you start... Where it's written so well that you start, like, sympathizing with the bad guy. You. you. The TV show You. The TV show There are you. moments yep. where you fall for his charm, and then you're like, no, he's he's a piece of shit. Yeah, Joe's a piece of shit. But, but like, but it they they write it so well that he's believable as a charming man. Yeah, and it's fucking crazy because at some point you start to feel sympathy for the horrible person that he is, and you almost almost relate to him, and that's when it gets scary. It's like they deduce the right. character into such small, believable increments that you could see yourself in them. And that's what's terrifying is like you could see yourself in Lulu with her horrible gaslit fucking relationship where I love you fucking kill me because he's going to crash the plane regardless. What what are you supposed to do? Antagonize him and make it worse? Right. Yeah. You know, and with Alex, like. Maxie had no idea that he was a threat she followed him into the library because they were all drinking they made a wager and they knew he was annoying but they didn't they knew he was was crazy in a drug addicted loose cannon type of way but they didn't know the loose cannon was also loaded like you know what i mean metaphorically speaking not loaded money wise not not like money or drugs i'm talking like dangerously loaded And that's the thing that really fucking sucks is they all sort of hated him, but they couldn't. They all felt obligated to be around him. Not only did they feel obligated because of friendship, time frames, like they've been friends with him half their lives. And his dad has so much money and he provides all the cool shit. Like they go on all these trips. And And power. And And his dad has power. His dad has power. And like for fuck's sake, they're playing poker. And poor Rob is, like, such a shitty poker player that Alex antagonizes him to the point where he goes, if you can beat me, I'll give you a check for $50,000 right here, right now. And he goes, okay, so if I win, you give me $50,000. He goes, yeah, I will. He goes, but what if I lose? He goes, then I'm giving it to Lulu for for whatever fucking reason she wants it. And, of course, because Rob can't catch a fucking break, he loses, and Alex literally writes a check to some dog charity for Lulu. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, my God, you have no idea how much these puppies are going to appreciate it. 
And like it's fifty thousand fucking dollars. That's a house to some people. And can we just also say this is kind of random, but the two trips are a year apart. Yeah. And so they spent a year hating so Alex because they're like, well, we had to put up with him. He's in the wedding. Kick him out of the wedding. Everything happened on Valentine's, and then the next spring they were getting married. So valentine's weekend they went up to look at the potential to the groom potential venue but jessica the bride was like no 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 this is all gonna happen and she didn't want anybody that wasn't in the wedding party to be a part of the valentine's day weekend so rob couldn't even bring his girlfriend that everybody hated but like he also kind of hated but he was embarrassed by her. Not even that, but he couldn't bring her because he wasn't allowed to have somebody that wasn't as good as them because she wasn't good enough to be a part of the wedding party. And, you know, he, he spent time with Alex. And at one point in the book, him and Alex are having a conversation. And Alex literally, like, reams this poor guy. And he's like, aren't you fucking embarrassed to be with her? Could you imagine her being your wife? And it's like, mm -hmm. what if he could? What if he could? Basically, Alex's opinion on everybody made them kind of self-sabotage themselves. Well, and like, poor Alex's cousin seemed normal as shit. And so, like, what's wrong with Alex? Like, that's a whole separate question. But there was this one scene where they go on that Valentine's weekend. They want to go, like, to get Coke, which, like, whatever. And because Alex has a drug problem and he can't keep it under control. And when what's the what's the lawyer guy's name again? I forget. My brain's broken right now. Will. Will. When Will finds out that he has coke in the car, I think he makes him like get rid of it. And so Alex is really pissed because he doesn't have his drugs. And so they find this other guy that they went to school with who happens to be a neighbor. And he happens to have coke. And, like, Lulu texted this guy, and she's like, we want to go skiing. And, like, Rob, being naive, goes, it's, like, negative degrees outside. What the fuck are you talking about? Why would we want to go skiing right now? And she was like, we're talking about doing coke. But that's how, like, innocent almost Rob was. And she's like, God, you still call it blow? And, like, just stupid stuff like that. And so, like, they go over there, and this guy hasn't seen Alex since, what, college, high school, whenever this assault stuff started going down. He was really good friends with the guy that went to prison. He actually testified on his behalf, and they get into an altercation to where Alex straight up knocks this guy out into the fucking pool and Yael has to revive him so he doesn't die. Like, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. And he still takes that guy's coke and leaves the house. And that's when everyone kind of started questioning Alex. Yeah, they were just like, um, you literally almost murdered someone over a, a little bit of coke and him having a problem with you from like, 10 or 15 years ago he got on your nerves so you almost killed him so you could have drugs and the hell is wrong with you
it was just so bizarre. Like this book is so bizarre, but it's so intriguing that you're just like, I think I have it figured out. And you probably do. Like, let's be honest. You probably do have it figured out. But you want to get to the end. You got to cross that finish line to a ticket off your list. Because if you're like me, you have to complete something. <laughs> yeah. But also, you just kind of need to know, is it as fucked up as I think it is? Or is it worse? Right. So that's my opinion on I Eat Men Like Air. And, and for the record, we don't feel they were justified. We no, get it. I understand. But it wasn't why, the right thing to do. I they could have just stopped they associating wrote with it them. that way. I understand. Maxie could have pressed charges. She could have, but she was embarrassed because she didn't want her husband to know. She said, in her own words, something along the lines of, I will be ruined in society. I will be one of them. Yep. She didn't want the shame of it, which like I get that. But at the end of the day, there was a much better route they could have taken, even if even if all they did was never talk to Alex Sable again in their lives. They could have cut him from the wedding party. They could moved have moved on with their lives. Turned mm-hmm. him into the police, but she would have had to have testified. It would have been like a whole thing. And right. I understand the not reporting. I don't understand I the, understand like, the sh- only other option being murder. I firsthand <laughs> understand the shame of assault and not wanting to press charges because it's embarrassing and it's time consuming mm-hmm. and it's you're under a microscope. I get it. Full, full heartedly understand. Mm-hmm. It is your right to choose what you do with your story. However, nothing not justifies murder. taking a life. Nothing. Nothing justifies taking someone's um, well, life. Self-defense. That's a little different. Like if they come at you and you happen to find a way to knock them down before they can kill you and your children or whatever. But there's a difference between self-defense and revenge revenge or premeditated murder. Like there is a huge, very premeditated, very premeditated, like a year's worth. It wasn't a heat of the moment. They all said, the fuck are you doing? And attacked him right then and there. They waited a year year and planned it over the course of a year. But even sometimes, like, to get off topic, even in real life on self-defense charges, you have to really prove that you were defending yourself because mm-hmm. you still, unfortunately, killed somebody. And that's, yeah. that's a crime. You have to really fight and prove that you were justified in your actions to save yourself and your family, etc. But... At the end of the day, nobody wants to kill people. And if you do, you have real problems and you should probably seek some help. Um, please. please. Pretty please. I beg of you with the cherry on top of your ice cream sundae. Um, but that's I Eat Men Like Air. Please go check it out if you want to spend your one audible credit on a $30 book. Because holy Maybe crap. Keep it, and keep an eye out. Maybe we can find it for free again at, at some point. Like it'll go on sale or something. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. Um, at that price difference. We do not currently have another book picked out yet for our next. Well, you haven't told me, but we yeah, I did. Is it the one you're currently reading? No. Oh, then I forgot because my had a, I had oh. a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be um. Let me find it. The House Across the Lake by Riley Sager. Oh, I haven't started that one yet. You're going to have to resend me that because I stroked out and forgot everything for like. That is a book. That is a book I thought I predicted. And then it hit me. And I like, I was like, oh, left field. Then it hit me again. Oh, left field. Like, oh, it's 
it from every twist and turn you're like the fuck is going on yeah I'm gonna and, have to and i can't that. explain i can't explain all the details of why it's the perfect book for the art book club without giving things away yeah, yeah. it'll 100 give things away but it's perfect and um, i will read the synopsis for it the house across the lake by raleigh sager be careful what you watch for. Casey Fletcher, a recently widowed actress trying to escape a streak of bad press, has retreated to the peace and quiet of her family's lake house in Vermont. Armed with a pair of binoculars and several bottles of bourbon, she passes the time watching Tom and Catherine Royce, the glamorous couple living in the house across the lake. They make a good viewing. Uh, they make for a good viewing. A tech innovator, Tom is powerful, and a former model, Catherine, is gorgeous. One day on the lake, Casey saves Catherine from drowning, and the two strike up a budding friendship. But the more they get to know each other, and the longer Casey watches, it becomes clear that Catherine and Tom's marriage isn't as perfect as it appears. When Catherine suddenly vanishes, Casey immediately suspects Tom of foul play. What she doesn't realize is that there's more to this, this a story than meets the eye, and that shocking secrets can lurk beneath the most placid of surfaces. Ooh. Sounds intriguing. And on the, like, opening page or whatever, before the story starts, uh, it it says, I think he did it, but I just can't prove it. Taylor Swift. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Because of the song Nobody, No Crime. Yeah. Which is how I heard of the book, is people talking about that. Um, A little bit of housekeeping before we let you all get back to your regularly scheduled lives. Our next episode will be on August 5th, and it's, I don't know, Lindsay's motherfucking birthday episode, and we will be covering something fun in relation to her birthday, and... Haven't figured out what yet, but we're working on it. Something to do with true crime and or paranormal in regards to the day she was born, like I did with mine and Ted Bundy. Um... From there, on August 19th, we will do our very late but promised FNF for South Dakota. And in September, we will be bringing you an episode on September 2nd. To be determined, uh, if you have any suggestions, please let a bitch know because there's too many crimes, there's too many ghosties, and we just don't know what to cover sometimes. So reach out at gabbpodcast at gmail.com or at gabbpodcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook and let it, let us know what you want us to cover. Yeah. I mean, we are all ears. We are literally listening. I know you're listening to us, which sounds like an oxymoron, but we are listening if you are willing to talk to us. We're always Please. here. Please, we're so lonely. But... until next time listeners stay spooky bye bye thank you for listening to ghosts in the attics bodies in the basement a fearscape media podcast music by steven temperley artwork by laura ramsey find us online at fearscapemedia.com forward slash g-a-b-b podcast or on instagram facebook and twitter at g-a-b-b podcast or email us gabbpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you.